Welcome to That's Her Business. I'm your host, Rosie Allen. On this podcast, you'll find conversations with entrepreneurs, corporate ladder climbers, and generally just real women working in business like you. Consider us your work bestie, here to provide some actionable advice on the day-to-day grind. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Katina Bajaj. She is the co-founder and chief well-being officer of Daydreamers. Katina is a published author, a clinical psychology researcher, and an expert on creative well-being. Welcome, Katina. All right. Hi, Katina. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today and just like hear about everything you're working on and all you have going on. Um, So for everyone listening, Katina is an author and she is co-founder and chief well-being officer at Daydreamers. Um, So obviously, Katina, we're going to get into daydreamers maybe towards the end of the conversation but if you could just give listeners like kind of a quick excerpt of like what it is yeah totally so first of all thank you so much for having me I am really excited to catch up and hopefully share a bit more of my story but quick overview of daydreamers our mission is to turn creativity into a well-being habit So our kind of perspective is that creativity is this really overlooked aspect of our well-being and even just our humanity. It's this innate human behavior that we have and we've all kind of lost access to in the world that we live in today. And I'm sure we'll get into why a little bit later. Um, But when we kind of pull back and look at it from something that isn't just associated with output and achievement, it is this really powerful healing modality and also something Mm -hmm. that allows us to reconnect with ourselves, make meaning, feel fulfilled. Um, And it's, it's just so powerful. So that's kind of what we're doing at Daydreamers is really being able to reconnect with that and then also turn it into a consistent part of your life. Awesome. Um, I'm so excited to delve more into it, but if you could just kind of give us an overview of where you started in your career. I know on the podcast, we have talked to some guests that have started in one field and completely end up in another. And maybe you're somewhere similar. I know you originally started in finance. Totally. Yes. I probably fall in that category (laughs) very much. Um, I started my career at an investment bank in New York. So very different than what I do now. Um, And I think I grew up in a first-gen immigrant family, really kind of was never exposed to anything corporate, let alone the Mm -hmm. world of finance. Um, So when I was in college, I kind of got shepherded into uh, what this definition of success was, right? I was at NYU and kind of surrounded by the finance world. So I started my career as an analyst at Goldman and very quickly realized that that was not the space for me, even though it was a pretty amazing company when I look back on it. Um, But really, 
it forced me to kind of reckon with what my personal mission was and what I Mm -hmm. wanted to do in the world. So I got really interested in understanding how we could use business to make impact um, in a large scale way. I got started really early at Goldman on doing some of our environmental sustainability work and that kind of expanded. Yeah, it was like the OG days of doing anything (laughs) in that space. So um, it was pretty, pretty cool to be part of. Um, and then uh, moved into working at a philanthropic venture fund in New York focused on mental health and digital learning and was just really in awe of kind of how we could make change in this big picture way. Um, and also that that could like be your career. So yeah. can you explain on that yeah. um, just a little bit? Like what technically is a venture fund? If you yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the organization that I worked at, which was called POSIS, it actually has transitioned into something else um, in the past couple of years. But it is quite different than uh, anything that I had seen existing in the mm-hmm. philanthropy space. Um, and that's because the kind of benefactor, Fred POSIS, was really excited by the idea of providing not only money, but also support and kind of strategic expertise to social impact organizations, nonprofits, and kind of um, different ways that any type of organization can make impact. So we Mm -hmm. actually incubated a couple of different organizations and ideas, and then also gave both like consulting uh, free consulting mm-hmm. projects, um, and then also actually funded organizations as well. So That's we so kind of did, yeah, a bunch of different things. It was really, really cool and forward thinking for the time. Yeah, that sounds like a great experience. And yeah. so from there, um, where did that that experience kind of take you? Yeah, so I feel like, and I'm sure people listening may have experienced this in their life as well but I feel like you try to plan as much as you can and then you know life experiences kind of change that plan completely so yeah I I ended up moving out to San Francisco um, after working at POSIS for about two and a half years Um, Mm -hmm. and at the time, I was also had a, a kind of side project, which was called On Adulting. And it was really my creative outlet while I was working. Um, it was kind of the early days of blogging. And um, when I moved out to San Francisco for personal reasons, I was actually able to take that full time. Oh, um, wow. So yeah. what platform were you using for your blog? Yeah, so I started out on Medium, um, okay. kind of when it was first starting, which is really fascinating. And I was actually really against using social media. So I was kind of <laughs> writing for some outlets and then had my own, you know, like WordPress blog and mm-hmm. was sharing on Medium as well. Um, and then probably about a year before I moved to San Francisco, I started, you know, blogging on Instagram and other social media Media, platforms. Yeah. Yeah. So on your, for your blog, what were you writing? Was it like journal style, basically like 
the stories of being in your 20s or being a millennial or was it more like how to like what were you what were you kind of writing about yeah totally so I think kind of going back to that time in my life and even what I was sharing a bit um, earlier is I feel like I was seeking a lot. I was trying to understand Mm -hmm. what my place was in the world, what my identity was, what I wanted to do, why like adulthood was not all that it was cracked up to be. (laughs) And most importantly, I think what was really confusing to me at the time was how everyone was just okay with that. Like, Mm -hmm. no one was talking about why this was really unfulfilling. And it seemed like everyone was openly not happy, (laughs) not, you know, living a life that was really lighting them up, but they also weren't doing anything about it. And that was really all that I was surrounded by. Um, So that's kind of what I started writing about. It was my way to piece together who I was, who I wanted to be, why like the world was so different than what I expected. Um, And surprisingly, it started out as a journal, like a private journal. And then I talked about it a lot with my friends and like acquaintances and work friends. Um, And so many of them felt the same way. So I ended up kind of writing a few pieces and it got a ton of traction from people that I just didn't even know or hadn't talked to in a long time. That's amazing. So were you able yeah. to kind of build a following based yeah. off of your network and then further? Yeah, I think that um, actually what was really fascinating to me and even kind of looking at now the creativity research and what I focus on, mm-hmm. um, writing on Medium was a huge kind of experience for me because I didn't know anyone and I could almost be anonymous. So that yes, kind of that is so freeing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's how I feel it's... about TikTok right now. I'm like, it's different because nope, like I don't know, the people seeing it aren't your friends from high school necessarily. They're like the entire world. So you're almost yeah. anonymous. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. like strangers are actually interacting and giving Mm -hmm. you feedback but then they also don't know anything about you so you could be you know you could be as free as you want to share these really deep or even surface level things that you might not with your friends yeah um I actually say that medium back in the day was a lot like tiktok was oh interesting because there's a lot of like cool interaction in the comments but (laughs) then like no one really knows who you are so yeah almost like um, a reddit I guess too yeah yeah, (laughs) exactly so I feel like it was actually I got a lot of my like creative confidence I guess from writing without anyone knowing who I was and then when I finally felt like I understood my voice I shared it on my own social media platforms and that's when people I hadn't talked to in forever were like reaching out with these really deep stories and like experiences so I feel like kind of being able to connect with people in that way really drove me um, that's amazing Katina I have a question for you um do you consider yourself a writer is that something you've always like labeled yourself because Mm recently I just started like journaling in the mornings and it's literally stream of consciousness consciousness (laughs) and I just I think it's so helpful and I've encouraged some friends to do it and 
literally like I never read the page again, essentially. It's just to get it all out. And so many people fight me on it and they're like, well, I'm not a writer or I've never been a writer. I can't write. So I'm just curious as someone who's written a full book, was this something, and it's okay if it's always been for you, but I'm just wondering. Oh my gosh, no. And this is literally exactly why we started Daydreamers because Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up, I was always funneled into the STEM classes and was never considered considered myself an artist or a writer. And oh, I Oh, that's really, so interesting. Yeah. I even though I have loved writing since I was a kid and kept journals from the time I was like seven, um mm-hmm. I never felt confident enough to say that I was creative or a writer or a quote unquote artist. Um until I got out of school and started turning to writing as really just like a way to heal and process the world. Mm -hmm. And it did become part of my identity where I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is part of who I am and how I process things is through writing them down and being able to see my feelings on paper (laughs) and then be able to kind of understand how to talk about it so number one like scientifically obviously we've already talked about this but we all are creative Mm -hmm. then on the other hand what's really interesting I think is that we put so much baggage around the words and phrases of who and who is not so many yeah 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 yeah, totally so I could relate to that a hundred (laughs) percent um okay so we you're in san francisco now you're blogging essentially full-time were you able to monetize the blog at all yeah yeah exactly so i ended up kind of that was i think the heyday like the first heyday of influencers um (laughs) on instagram so i was doing a ton of both brand partnerships writing for different outlets um And then also that was around the time that I started coaching as well. So I got my coaching certification and really kind of wanted to, as I said before, my first part of my 20s was about making this like big picture change, understanding how that fits in. Mm -hmm. And then as I started writing and being able to connect with people one-on-one, I got to just see how much change happens individually when we're able to connect deeply with one person um so i became really interested in understanding like small scale everyday change um and kind of had that's what i was working on full time so writing on adulting yeah and then supporting people one-on-one and then from there you went and transitioned basically your blog into a full book yeah, so I, this is probably a different path. And maybe this is like the <laughs> cap of my life. Um, But I actually got an email from a publisher one day back in 2019, asking if I would ever be interested in turning on adulting into a book. Wow, um, that is so cool. Yeah. So it's like not something you were like, I'm gonna write this blog, then I'm gonna write a book, then I'm gonna get my master's and I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> do this. Well, I think going back to the idea of planning, I'm definitely a type A person, (laughs) but I think a lot of times when you like try to hold on to something so much, um, it becomes really stressful. So I think the moment that I kind of 
allowed myself to go on whatever path I might end up on. Um, I ended up getting that email in my inbox a couple of months later. So of course, writing on adulting, my ultimate goal was to write a book, but I didn't really know how it was going to happen. So um, when I got that message, I actually thought that it was like junk mail. I thought it must have been a <laughs> You're a like, scam. this is a scam. They want yeah, my money. Like, I no would way. totally think that. <laughs> <laughs> my partner, now husband, was like, um, you should definitely have a call with them. They're literally <laughs> from Simon and Schuster. Like, it's not a joke. So yeah, ended up um, kind of having a unique path to that but it was such a cool experience and hopefully there are more books in my future it reminds me of running a marathon like you hate it during it it's you think it's the most difficult thing ever and then once it's done you're like maybe I'll do that again that's a really really good comparison so how long did the process take you um about a year Mm -hmm. in total Um, the writing part itself was probably seven or eight months. And then the editing process kind of was weaved throughout. Um, but in total was probably like four months or so. And did you get to pick your editor or did they, they give you one? So the editor that reached out to me was actually ended up being my editor. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. She (laughs) was great. Also a millennial, someone who really resonated with these messages. So um, it was fun to be able to kind of work on it with her for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So after you published this book and what is the, I mean, I know it's based off of like your stories and your blog and articles, but what is it? Um, is it anything different or does it come with prompts? Like, yeah, how is it set up? Yeah, I feel like with this book, it's called On Adulting. So it's kind of like a capstone of all of the writing and research I had done through uh, that phase mm-hmm. of my life. Um, but I tried to make it both as relatable and also as actionable as possible. So um the I would say it's like in part memoir but then also in part kind of um ways that you can actually make change in your life and live a more intentional mindful and kind of conscious um adulthood that doesn't necessarily mean you're living on this constant hamster wheel that we all (laughs) may have experienced at some point I know the hamster wheel seems to never stop. I think that yeah. that's that's definitely true for for most people. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it's something that especially with kind of the way our society is structured now, it feels like something that is really hard to escape. Um, but I think that hopefully, and what we're trying to do with daydreamers is kind of give us all the space to actually think about how we can change the status quo so that we can make kind of systemic shifts as a world, because I think it's something that like won't change unless we all do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's definitely feels like something individually, and this is maybe something to say on like the whole space and like culture of wellness of Mm -hmm. like you can meditate or you can go to yoga or you can go for a walk and 
those are kind of like simple solves. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if they <laughs> really feed into the whole problem, which is obviously much totally. larger and completely cultural. Yeah. Um, A thousand percent. And I think that we've become so used to being like a candle will make me feel better. And (laughs) you know, I'm gonna buy that routine skincare routine or a thousand percent. But I think of course it's not ultimately up to us as individuals, but I think that we the way that the world is structured have to kind of push for change as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into daydreamers. Um, I know that you you have your master's in clinical site. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So as I kind of was going through both working with people one-on-one through on adulting and then also um, kind of just getting deeper in my own understanding of well-being, I really wanted to approach it from a scientific and research-backed point of view. A lot of kind of (laughs) going back to what we were saying about well-being and wellness, right? It's so like buy the shampoo and you'll change as a person. (laughs) Um, And obviously I didn't personally buy into that, but I also wanted to understand like literally what are the ways that we can make change and how do we do that on a mass scale? Um, So I decided to get my master's in clinical psychology at this really amazing program called the Mind Body Institute at Columbia. Mm. And the It's quite new, but the focus of it is really on kind of the mental health spectrum from languishing. So that feeling of being on the hamster wheel, like something's wrong, but I just don't know what it is to thriving Um, and really understanding why we all are really reaching our fullest potential, feeling happy, healthy, et cetera, in our daily lives and what we can do about it from a scientific point of view. That's so yes, fascinating. That's really, really interesting, mostly because I feel like mental health and psychology is more reactionary. So it's more like you are depressed. Now we have to like give you a medicine to fix it and X, Y, and Z instead of and like getting you more to like normal or a middle ground. Yeah. Um, Normal with air quotes, guys. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I I'm mean, not on video. <laughs> this, uh, exactly what you're saying, really, it's kind of interesting, but has only started to become a subset of research in the 2000s. Like, oh, wow. From That's a mental health new. perspective, yeah, we were really focusing on just like the lack of mental illness, not mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really fascinating is that there's this whole movement of psychologists and researchers who are really trying to understand like, okay, just because you're not depressed doesn't mean that you're living a fulfilled, happy, enjoyable, healthy life. And like, what are the levers that we can use to get us there individually and as a society? So that's kind of what I focus on for the past two years. And specifically within that, what my area of research and like interest was, was around creativity and how, you know, there are so many things that we do like meditation and yoga and all this stuff, but like, there's something that's still missing. And um, ultimately, 
from my point of view, creativity is that thing that gives us our spark back that allows us to feel alive. And it just has like a really bad branding problem from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like we're not writers. That is so true. So we'll never engage in it. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do with Daydreamers. So basically what you're saying is everyone is creative or can be creative. Yeah. And also like, think about it. When we were kids, we all engaged in creativity. Yeah. All you did was art. (laughs) Yeah. And then it drops off in adulthood. And there's a lot of research around why one, we become super self-conscious and, you know, our brain actually changes, but also societally, we become so honed in on achievement and perfectionism and all this stuff that like, is really linear and creativity thrives when we're able to be non-linear and also be unproductive. So there are so many things that we like have to do more of in order to, um, to feel it more often. Do you have any tips for someone that is maybe trapped in this hamster wheel or feeling burnt out? Like what are some beginner things that they can engage with to help like reawaken creativity for themselves? Do you have any tips? Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, this is exactly what we do. (laughs) But the one thing that I'll say that I'll kind of cap this with is it feels like the easier thing to do when you're on the hamster wheel and I can relate to this a thousand percent is to do nothing to like just browse on your phone to scroll for five hours even though you feel like it's 30 minutes um and to just veg out and while that is you know something that can allow us to feel a little bit better in some ways oftentimes the thing that feels like it'll take a tad bit more effort is the most rejuvenating, um, especially when it comes to burnout. So there's actually a lot of really interesting new research that came out in COVID that shows that flow, creative flow is um, the antidote to feeling burned out because it allows us to be fully present. It kind of expands our sense of time. So even if you're only doing it for 10 minutes, it feels like you've been doing it forever. Um, and it has all these other well-being benefits. So I would say number one, like the thing that takes a tiny bit more effort, um, isn't wasteful and actually won't be that effortful once you get into it. And like number it fills two, your cup a little more. Yeah, more than you exactly. think it would. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I would say is that it doesn't need to be that long. Like the research shows that if you just get into the flow or create for 15 minutes, it has a positive impact on your emotions through the next day. Like that's literally all it takes. So that's I feel so like we have, yeah, we have this perception that it has to be like, I take out all my stuff, I do it for three hours and I do it <laughs> like once a year. Um, mm-hmm. But doing it for less time more frequently is really good for us. That is so interesting. I read, um, I don't know if it was on your blog or social media, but you did say creativity is what makes us human. And I thought that that was really unique, especially right now in the world of tech and (laughs) everything is digital. And I feel like we're losing a lot of, a lot of that. 
Yeah. And on that note, kind of going back to your question of what is something that someone can do if they don't feel creative. I think what's really cool is that like noticing beauty is a creative act. So if you're just going on a walk and you're like, wow, this flower is so beautiful. Like I've never actually noticed these colors that activates your creative brain. So it's not just expressing yourself and like painting and, you know, whatever we typically think of, but it also is like noticing a sunset, allowing yourself to like pick up on uh, flowers, et cetera, whatever you think is beautiful Mm -hmm. um, while you're outside. And those are still creative things. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And I love that you give kind of, smaller things that that we can all use I always say like sometimes I feel like I can't be creative until I'm bored so if I like have things to do I like will keep thinking about them I'm like running around I like don't have time to be creative but if I'm like sitting there staring at a wall or if we're upstate or even when I'm actually driving in the car and you're kind of like mind is is like on a path. I don't know. Oh <laughs> this my gosh. makes I sense. Mean, it's it's totally... like when I'll get my most creative ideas. Yes. But... That's literally how our brain works. It's really okay, fascinating. So my brain's that working, you're... Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Good. that's why giving ourselves room to like not be productive all the time is really, as we say at Daydreamers, the birthplace of creativity because when you don't have anything to do, your brain automatically thinks, what if? It's automatically like, what if I could combine these two things? Or it kind of moves on to this new idea. And that in and of itself is creative. So I think that a really core element is like allowing yourself not to do stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Um, so you started daydreamers with your partner did you guys have external investors or you're in a pre-launch phase right now right yeah yeah so yes to the first question yes to the second question um (laughs) my partner my now husband and co-founder doopy and i thank you yeah we got married this summer um but we met as undergrads at NYU Stern. So we both kind of had very similar life paths. We're both in finance and, you know, for many times throughout our relationship, always we're kind of thinking of different ways to improve things, not necessarily business ideas, but um, even like Maybe you've done this, but when you're getting off of an airplane, and you're like, why can't there just be a better way to do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So ultimately, kind of daydreamers came from thinking about why, one, aren't there ways to better spend our time? Um, and two, why do we think that we're not creative? So obviously, there are many reasons kind of how it got started, but we started out um, not kind of taking a fundraising route. I think a lot of times when people start startups today, they're like, how can I create a business that is going to get funded mm-hmm. ASAP? That everybody and, wants in, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, while maybe that 
is a good path to take when you're starting something that is really mission driven. I think that it um, requires a different set of understanding and like kind of layout of how you structure the organization. So we actually did a lot of testing um, for the past year and a half um, and ultimately took on external investors starting in the beginning of this year. Um, so I think that we've been really intentional about who we kind of surround ourselves with, mm -hmm. but ultimately um, are excited to start expanding and like growing quickly. Okay, Katina, I have to ask this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, tell me. <laughs> so is Daydreamers, is it coaching? Is it a social app? Like, is it digital? Yeah. Yeah, a little so, bit more granular. I need it. Yes. <laughs> so we, since we're in early access, we're being kind of, um, we don't have too much info out in yeah. the world. Um, Give us exciting. what you can. <laughs> yeah. Exciting news is that we are literally right before this, we just were wrapping up changes to our website and branding. So we'll be launching a exciting new one um, in early 2023 with more info. Amazing. Um, yeah, but essentially our kind of purpose and what we do, as I said before, is to provide um, the tools, support, and kind of connection in order to build creativity into a habit. So ultimately kind of high level what I can kind of give a little insight into is we are really excited to simplify creative behaviors and movements that can be associated with specific well-being goals. So mm -hmm. ultimately, when we think about our physical health, for example, we know that running or doing cardio is really powerful for our heart health and our muscles, right? Um, when you're doing abs, you like are strengthening one part of your body. But when we think about creativity, who knows, like if painting <laughs> is better for you um, in some way than using clay or dancing, right? Like mm -hmm. we've never actually thought about the different aspects of creativity and how they impact our mental health, our brain health, um, even our ability to connect with others. So that's kind of ultimately what we're doing with Daydreamers and we're making it as easy and supportive as possible for you to kind of really hone in on reducing stress or um, feeling more connected and a variety of other things like that. And just living your best life overall. Yeah. So do you think it's something that you eventually will be able to measure? Yeah. So we are That's already so measuring it. It's oh, cool. really, yeah, really data-driven, really kind of scientifically validated, which I think is super exciting. Um, and I think that that's ultimately kind of where we're headed is how can we be as specific about these practices and movements as we can about how it impacts our well-being. Interesting. So that we can, yeah, make better decisions, spend our time more effectively, and also kind of just know really personalized for us what impacts us the most. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your number one kind of rebuttal, I would say, for people who claim that they're not creative or they're not 
artist. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I hear this all the time. I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure you have a good one, but I'm like, yes, I'm curious. Yeah. So I think that we've talked about this a little bit, but like creativity is literally in our DNA. Like if we look back at the reason that we've evolved as the human species that we've like created cities and done anything right it's because we actually had this um unexpected kind of change in our brain thousands of years ago that required us to start asking what if so one of my favorite neuroscientists and researchers and um one of our kind of like guidance mentors at Daydreamers Mm -hmm. is this guy, Dr. David Eagleman. And he talks about this kind of example of how back, you know, thousands of years ago, people, humans started looking at under rocks to see if they could find food. Um, And normally they would like scavenge berries, but one day someone picked up a rock and asked what if, and that kind of simple question of thinking differently about your world is literally how creativity is defined in science. It's openness to new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like when it's described that way, everyone relates to it, right? Like we do that 24 yeah, seven. Um, we're always, yeah. Like asking questions, trying to engage in different ways of thinking. Sometimes we just lose touch with it a little bit so I think that reframing is really important for me and hopefully it resonates (laughs) yeah no it definitely resonates I mean it feels really similar to just problem solving in general Mm -hmm. which I feel like absolutely everybody does every single day at work or at home Um, a thousand percent that's exactly exactly it it's like we like to say it's like mental flexibility Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's much easier to kind of think in that way. (laughs) Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you. I know you're in the pre-release, right, section or launching of Daydreamers. Do you guys already have like a good amount of subscribers? Yeah, so we are in what we're calling early access. So obviously, as I said, (laughs) we um, have been testing for a while. We now have a bunch of members and are starting to actually take on and accept a lot more starting in 2023, which is really exciting. Um, Someone that we know that also has been, you know, created and sold a bunch of startups likes to say this phase is meandering in the desert, which I think (laughs) is a really cool description. Like, you know where you're going, but you're kind of open to anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really, it's just a really exciting time, but of course, like we're excited to start expanding our community too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations. I'm really excited to see how this comes um and if you guys want to know more i will list katina's information in the show notes and then also her website so if you do want to sign up to become a member or register for early access you'll be able to yeah thank you so much awesome thank you for coming yeah thank you 
Thank you for listening to That's Her Business. I'm your host, Rosie Allen. If you want more information about Katina and Daydreamers, you can see below in the show notes. And we'll see you next week.